All right, good morning, Community Life Church. Man, look to the person next to you and say, it's good to see your face. Now this time, really mean it. It's good to see your face. Nice. We're in the middle of a series right now called Justice for All, and we're trying to, we're trying to talk through what this idea of justice is. Now, we hear this word justice in our culture today, and we typically want to land on a side, or we want to land on a situation, or whatever that, situ whatever that thing is. We're learning through the character study of Joseph to see what this actually means. What does it really mean to have this level of justice? <clears throat> Now, Reverend Brendan was here at the first week. He led us off beautifully and uh, laid down justice is love in action. And we learned that this idea of trying to seek justice uh, for things that are unjust, that actually we need to do something about it. And the number one thing we need to jump into when it comes, when we see something that's happening that should not be happening, we need to jump right into prayer because he is God and we are not. He gets to do whatever he chooses to do and we do not. We don't even barely, we don't even understand the things, right? So his thoughts are not our thoughts. So we need to go to him in prayer. God, what is going on? Why is this happening? And have a conversation. Did you know God can handle you? He's got big enough shoulders. You can lay anything down you want to lay down and just be honest. Be real for crying out loud. The church needs to be real and authentic and straightforward. Stop trying to, uh, stop trying to produce your prayers and just let it out. Just let it be because we don't know how to pray anyway. Isn't that true? The Holy Spirit interprets that through groanings and however he does it anyway. And so you just let it be what it is. He can handle it. I don't even, I, I truly, truly, based on reading through the Psalms, it is not disrespectful just to unload whatever's going on. Do not filter yourself with the Lord. He already knows what you were thinking about saying. So just let it be real and go after it. Because sometimes there's an injustice and it's just crippling you. It could be an injustice towards you. And when there is an injustice towards you or people you know, you got to hold on to hope, which is what we talked about last week. Just because things went bad doesn't mean God forgot about you. Just because things went a little bit hokey doesn't mean that now he's abandoned you or he's forgotten about you or anything like that. Sometimes the stuff we get into could be because of choices we've made. Sometimes it can be simply we didn't make bad choices, but God wants to strengthen us and purify us and refine us. And the best way to do that is by putting us through some sort of difficult situation. That doesn't mean we like difficult situations. It just means that difficult situations can truly be good for us. So we want to hold on to hope when there's an injustice. Today we're going to think about this word integrity. You've probably heard this word a lot. Thinking about integrity for a person or even a thing. If something within a building begins to crack at the foundation and it becomes unstable, we would say that it lost its structural integrity. And so it's just not as strong and as secure and whole as it once was. When you think about an individual that has integrity, it's somebody that you can count on, rely on, somebody that's responsible. And when they don't live a life of integrity, it's the difference between a rock and a bad piece of fruit. You have integrity, you are strong, you are solid, you are firm. If you do not have integrity, it's like picking up a rotten piece of fruit. You can just put your finger right through. 
Ew. Come on, y'all have done it. You know you have. You pick up the fruit. You, we did it this week. We didn't realize the apple was bad until we turned it over. And it was like, ah. And so that's the difference. You have integrity. You're solid. You're strong. You're firm. People can count on you and rely on you. If, in fact, you are a person of integrity, it means that you're dependable, unchanging, and trustworthy no matter the circumstance. Now, people, church, we have been through circumstances all throughout our life. The past two years have just focused our intention and given us new ways to argue with each other. And so when it comes to, like, circumstances and difficulties, the reality is, is that integrity means that you can still stand firm no matter what's going on around you, no matter what's happening. You don't fall apart when tough circumstances uh, throw, you, throw you around. You're not in, indestructible or anything, but when it comes to your character, it takes a lot to make you crack. Your character, something that's strong and firm, your integrity makes you dependable and strong. You choose what is right and true, no matter who you're with or who's looking. You're not, you're not one, what, what's the animal that changes colors with the surrounding? Chameleon. chameleon, right? So you're not a chameleon. You're not one of them people that just goes, oh, well, oh, okay, yeah, I believe that too. Oh, yeah, I believe that too. Oh, I believe that. You can't believe it all. You believe it all, you believe nothing. And so you don't change with the passing of the wind. You don't move just because somebody else comes up with a, a, a better argument. You, you test everything with integrity through God's word. Simply put, integrity is what you do when no one is looking. This is that situation when it's late at night and you're tired, everybody else is in bed, and you're just about ready to turn off your computer, your TV, or put your cell phone down and you have this thought that goes through your mind. It's probably not your thought. It's just the sin that lives within you. It's we have an enemy. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. And the enemy says, hey, nobody's watching. You've worked hard. You deserve to kind of go in a direction that, yeah, maybe it wasn't good before, but it's only one time. And you begin to get into situations or uh, maybe, maybe uh, chat room situations. You send messages or texts to people that you're going, well, this is a little bit shady, but you know it's shady because you're feeling hesitant. Integrity says, no, I'm not going to go down that road. Integrity takes it a step further and says, I'm not going to get to that point of exhaustion and still be online. Or I'm not going to allow my home affairs to go into work and try to get some sort of coddling there to where I could have an emotional situation occur. Integrity, the church, is, is important to have integrity. Jesus demands that we have integrity. Integrity, last week I saw amazing acts of integrity. I'm not pointing anybody out. I don't even look at you. Okay, listen to this. Last week, we did this amazing, awesome, cool thing. For the first time, Community Life Church, we have uh, CLC family members. Isn't that cool? I'm a member of the church. Yeah, come on, let's clap this out. I'm so excited. We're founding members of Community Life Church. Now, of course, there's individuals that have been here before us, and there's a long history of faithfulness. Here's, here's what I saw, integrity. Take nothing away from those individuals that have chosen to be a family member. There are some that while everybody else was standing, some were still sitting. They have integrity. That doesn't mean the rest of us don't have integrity. It means that these people were like, I'm not ready yet. That, my friend, is integrity. 
when everybody else is doing it and you say, I don't think I'm gonna do that. Not yet anyway. And so you just sit and you wait in the Lord. That's great. That's incredible. I've been celebrating those people that sat so much this week because it shows progress. It shows integrity. I'm not gonna just do it to do it. I wanna know what's going on. I just wanna honor you guys. For those of you, those of us that are members, great. Those that are waiting to come, that's great. God will work with you when he's ready to work with you. So be encouraged. We're gonna be jumping into Genesis 39 here in just a minute. So you can open your Bibles to Genesis 39. We'll be reading through the New Living Translation. You can pull up your mobile device. You can uh, turn it on there as well. Genesis 39, we're gonna go through the first 23 verses of Genesis 39. Now we've been doing a character study on Joseph. Joseph, this has been so fascinating. From Genesis 37 all the way through Genesis 50, there's so much written about Joseph. In fact, if you put creation and the Tower of Babel and the Garden of Eden, put all these things together, um, even, even then, there's more written on Joseph uh, than, than all of that put together. So we have an incredible study that we're going through here with Genesis chapter 39. But I want to make sure we're all caught up on where we stand. At about 16, 17 years old, Joseph received a really nice coat. You know, a really nice looking coat. You know, back in the day in the 90s, it would have been a starter jacket. You guys remember these starter jackets? It had the little emblem that said starter. The only time I ever wrote, read, or, or wore anything Steelers was when I, my brother had a Steelers starter jacket. I didn't have access to a Browns one. I'm sorry, but I just wore it because it was a starter jacket and it had the thing on there. They were so sought after. People actually were even losing their lives over these goofy things because of just whatever. Jealousy, call it what it is. But these were the coats. Joseph got a coat, and it wasn't just like, like kind of like a, a pullover coat or just a nice little robe. It was like wearing a tuxedo. It was a, a matter of stature where, where dad, Jacob, also known as Israel, said, hey, you're my favorite. Parents do not ever admit if you have a favorite. All right, J J Jacob made all these divisions in the family by saying, because you're the child of my, my old age, I just like you more. And so it gave him this, this, this statue, and it was just this beautiful thing that he would wart. Now, listen, Joseph was not an innocent victim. He would just kind of prance around with his brothers and just, yay, look, you see what daddy got me? You didn't get one. Because with wearing such a thing as he wore, basically said that dad wasn't expecting him to do any manual labor wasn't expecting him to really do much. Let the brothers do that because I have you in a place of honor. And Joseph lived that precious loved child life. And at 17 years old, his brothers sold him into slavery, sold him into human trafficking. That's what we would call it today. And so sold him into slavery. And then we get into a situation where a couple years he's a slave there. And then, uh, you know, the um, Ishmaelites uh, took him from there. And then a couple years later, he was then sold to an individual by the name of Potiphar or Potiphar, however you choose to pronounce it. Uh, Potiphar uh, brings him into his house. Now in Genesis 39, we pick up the story there. So we're a couple years into this slavery thing. We had an immature um, child that was just 
that was just acting like a brat. You know what I mean? Like just acting like a brat, living the life that Jacob laid out for him. And here he's actually living in slavery. Now when Joseph, now the name Joseph, this is super important. The name Joseph means he increases and the he is not Joseph. The he is God, the God of all creation. He increases. So when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Now Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So he was the captain of the guard, super important guy. And now Joseph was brought into his home as a slave. Make no mistake, Everything we read through the character study of Joseph is not about Joseph. It's really about the goodness of a living God. The goodness of a God that says, I'm going to do a thing, and here's how I'm going to lay it out. But before I can have you, Joseph, do the end of the story, which you may have already read, uh, you need refined. You need to have opportunities to grow. You are not ready to lead at the way that I'm going to call you to lead. You're probably in a situation right now that you're saying, God, life would be so much easier if you could just take this away. And you're right. Probably would be a heck of a lot easier. But that doesn't mean it's going to be better because God's still working in you. Let him work in you. He's taking his time to work in you. And so let him refine you. It's not easy, but that's counting the cost of being a follower of Christ, knowing that this isn't easy, but it's significant. So let's see what else we got going on here. So we're in Potiphar's house. Now, um, Potiphar, the king of Egypt. Now, the Lord was with Joseph. Say those words with me. The Lord was with Joseph. And so he succeeded in everything he did. Now, wait, let's make sure we understand what's going on here. He did not succeed, therefore God was with him. God was with him, therefore he succeed. Got it? Joseph did not earn this. He did not deserve this. God chose this. He gets to do whatever he gets to do because he's God and we are not. So this is a story, a narrative about the goodness of God. Do not miss that because Joseph made mistakes and God still loved them. People make mistakes and God still loves you with the same level that he created you with. Nothing changes with our living God. He doesn't love me more because I stand on a platform of wood and teach his word. He loves us all. I don't know how he does it, but he loves us all fully, completely together no matter what. So the Lord was with Joseph and he succeeded in the home of his Egyptian master. Now, Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph. Say it with me. The Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. The Lord gave it to him because he chose to. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. Potiphar was not doing that to honor God. Potiphar was doing it to honor Potiphar. He was doing it because he was like, I, the Lord is with him. I need to get on some of that. Hey, come work with me. Maybe the Lord will bless me because I have you. 
And so because the Lord was with Joseph, great things occurred. So he put him in charge of his entire, entire household and everything he owned. From the day Joseph was put in charge of his master's household and property, the Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. God will use and clearly can use and chooses to use whatever situation, no matter what, to accomplish his will. It's not always going to look right to us. How could they, right? Have you, have you heard this before? How could God let them get away with that? How could God do this? How could God, you know what? I don't know because he's God and I'm not. I am not the great I am. He is. He's here, then, and over there, all at the same time in whatever situation he chooses to be part of. And Potiphar's household is flourishing. All his household affairs ran smoothly, and his crops and livestock, they flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. Still a slave. Lots of responsibility, Still a slave. Potiphar's not doing this to bless Joseph. Potiphar's doing this to bless Potiphar. And God is still working. What? With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing, except what kind of food to eat. Now, I don't know why that's necessarily significant, other maybe he just wasn't, um, you know, he, he had concerns. He had concerns about what he was going to eat. I mean, let's just be real. We're already thinking about lunch, are we not? Amen. Yeah, we don't worry about anything else going on. I have not once thought about my van out back. I have not once thought about the home, but I'm curious. What am I going to eat for lunch? So this is pretty typical in our human mindset. What's going on this afternoon? We will often have breakfast together to discuss dinner. What do we have for dinner? We're eating right now. Why can't you be okay with dinner, like, like, lunch, like whatever we're eating, breakfast, right now? Hey, I just want to make sure it's coming. I just want to make sure it's coming. Never, never in, uh, let's see, Trevor's 13. So in 13 years, well, let's back it up to even our marriage in 2005, 2005, so almost 17 years of marriage that I have kept her with me, yes. And so we have never gone a day where we have starved most people in here neither. And yet we wonder, where is it coming from? And Potiphar is no different. So we have Joseph here. It seems like this arrogant Joseph has some time now to kind of grow up. 17 years old, flaunting, hey, I had a dream. Yeah, you're going to serve me. 17 years old, just, just immature uh, individual. And now we're going to come to the part of the story where we talk about Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You know the story. And so we're going to talk through that just a little bit here and see. From the time that he was sold into uh, slavery with the Ishmaelite traders, uh, trafficked into slavery, he was then up to this point in the story, the narrative of him and Potiphar's wife. We're looking at about eight to ten years. Eight to ten years of doing hard, hard, unappreciative labor. That can change a man. That can change you. And something began to stir inside of Joseph, clearly based on what we see in his life. Something is changing, and God is moving. We go in Genesis chapter 39, and we're looking at the end of uh, verse 6 here. 
So in the narrative of the Old Testament, we rarely get a whole lot of pictures of what the individual look like. Typically, it's it, you, you don't really know. We come up with these images that we make for like children's books, but we really don't know. So whenever they do give you something, it's rather significant, and it often is connected to their character. Uh, so let's talk, let's take this for just a moment. Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Well-built and handsome. Another another uh, in the King James, it says that he was well-favored. Imagine that for a pickup line. Hello. You are well favored. Not a good one. Genesis, uh, in Genesis, and the King James says he's well favored. Handsome and attractive. He was, now listen to this. When they talk about him being handsome, and well-built. We're talking about an individual that did a hard labor for, let's just even say eight years, and he has developed some muscle. He was probably lean and tough. He was a strong guy. But also, they make allude to the fact that he was uh, pleasant in his face, right? He was not hard to look at. And so, not only was he good-looking and well-built, so what they're saying there is that Joseph was the whole package, Joseph was the whole package. He was the one you wanted around. And so we're talking a little bit here that leads us into this conversation where Joseph is being pursued by Potiphar's wife because he was the whole package. Now, as we go into this story, keep in mind that a ruler, a ruler uh, probably, you know, right there up with the king, you, you had... Whoever was considered the best of the best of the best in the kingdom. So Potiphar's wife was probably uh, well-favored also. And so we have this conversation between a man and a woman. He's probably around, well, if he was 17 when he got sold, then maybe around 26 to 28 years old. And he's been in, in slavery doing exactly what anybody tells you to do at any given time. He is being wired by his culture to just obey. You with me? Here's where character and integrity comes in. So Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Do we have that established? Okay. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him, let's say, intently. Come and be with me. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. Now, this is where things change. His wiring would say, okay. But his character says otherwise. But Joseph refused. He said, look, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now think about that for a minute. He knew that ahead of time. Why would you need to think that out? Is there a possibility that a well-favored, handsome, well-built young man had thoughts go through his head? Let's be real. It's possible. And ahead of time, he realizes I mean, I have everything else at my disposal except, except her. Because after all, you are his wife. 
There's a value on marriage here that is far above what we see today. No, you're married. Like it wasn't even an issue of compatibility or feelings. No, I, my master did not give me you. You're his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? Now check this out. It would be a great sin against God. First and foremost, when we sin, we sin against our Father in heaven. We sin against the Savior. We sin against the one that died for you and me, the one that rose again for you and me. We sin against him. You think you're just getting even and getting back with that individual when you sin or when you go too far? The reality is you're going against the Father first. And so here, Joseph understands that if I do this with you, yeah, it would be disrespectful to, uh, it would be hugely awful to the fact that you're his wife, but also it would be a great sin against God. You cannot go anywhere or do anything that God does not see. Keep in mind, just because you're physically by yourself doesn't mean that you're spiritually alone. God is with you and watching, and when you sin, you sin against him the one that loves you so dearly, that created a new way after the Garden of Eden or activated a different way, that one day this Jesus would come and pave a way to the Father. We sin against that God. But it seems like it feels different when I just go after that person, slandering, gossip, hating, doing what feels good. The first sin is against God. The first person is right against God. So he says, no. Somebody say, no. No, really, I'm just kidding. Um, so he says, no, and she keeps pursuing. She keeps putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refuses to lay with her. And he kept out, and, and he kept out of her way as much as possible. So now there's something in his character that says, no. And then she keeps pursuing, so he starts putting up boundaries. Okay, so if she's going down that hall, I'm going down that hall. I am not trying to interact. While she's tiptoeing around looking for well-favored Joseph, he's trying to get away from her. He's not trying to be strong in her presence and say, well, I can still enjoy a little bit of flirting without that big of a deal. But he went away because he knew. He just had to know Day after day, it was going to wear him down. It's possible that he started feeling worn down, so he had to go a different direction to get away from that temptation. Listen, temptation is not the sin. Giving in to the temptation is the sin. And so Joseph is trying to get away from it. And so he's walking different directions. At some point in time, when no one else was around, Maybe she sent them all out. Hey, you guys go out there for a minute, tend to something out there. Maybe it was just cleaning day in a different part of the kingdom. We don't know. There was, a, there was enough time where nobody was around and Potiphar's wife went after Joseph. And it wasn't a casual thing. He went, she went up to him and grabbed him and demanded, now's the time. She can't get over the fact that she's been rejected. And so she's holding on to him. And Joseph, because he's been choosing to say no, is developing the strength to say no. She grabs his coat 
and he leaves the coat behind and runs off. I can only imagine like, ah! She won't let it go. And he runs away. Some of us in our life should have turned and ran. And we didn't. So many times. The devil wants to remind me of all the things that I did. And so whenever those things pop up and he reminds me, hey, don't you remember you did this, Pastor Gordon? And then I take a little moment and say, don't you remember what Jesus is going to do to you? We have a little moment. Not quite as theatrical. But at the end of the day, we just need to turn and run from that temptation. And Joseph had practiced his no to where at that point he just turned and ran. Well, Potiphar's wife took an opportunity there. She was so mad, so mad. She started screaming. Help, help. He tried to touch me. They come running in. What? And the king, here, or now the king, here comes Potiphar. What happened? Not paying any attention except for what he's trying to eat for the day. What's going on? The Hebrew slave that you brought in, see what she did there? He tried to touch me, force me, force himself upon me. You follow me? And of course, then he burns with anger because he believes her. He wasn't paying attention to what was going on. Go, Joseph, right in jail. Isn't that something? You do the right thing thing and it lands you in jail. You do the right thing and you still don't get the promotion. You do the right thing, you still don't get on, you don't still don't get on that sports team. You do the right thing and it ends up in an injustice. Joseph's fault? Maybe just maybe God is still working with Joseph because he has a purpose for his life. And Joseph's not ready. Maybe, maybe. So he's in jail. Genesis 39, uh, verse 20. But the Lord was with Joseph. Say that with me. The Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. God shows Joseph his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Isn't that interesting? He was a favorite with daddy. And here we are years later, about eight to 10 years later, and God now says, I'm gonna make you a favorite with the prison warden. Different Joseph. Different Joseph. More mature, more focused, more character. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. Sounds like he's getting a promotion. The warden had no worries because Joseph took care of everything. The Lord was with him. Say that with me. The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed because he chose to. He's succeeding. Still in prison. You might be succeeding at a job that you think's prison. But God is working with you. Maybe it's more about you and less about them. I'm just saying. Maybe it is about them. 
But what if God is doing something in your life? And we've been so focused on what the people are doing around us that we miss that, huh, I don't think I did anything wrong there. God, could you still be working in me, through me? It's a possibility. Maybe, just maybe, because God gets to do whatever God wants to do whenever God wants to do it. We don't like that, do we? Because we want control. But when we submit to him, that's when we find real freedom and real peace. So in, in uh, Psalm chapter 1, we read these words. Natalie read these uh, words for us earlier. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. Basically, don't listen to ignorant people. Or stand around with sinners. That means that uh, the standing around, that means that you have moments with individuals that don't believe. You don't have lifetimes or days or weeks with them. You have moments with them. You're not just sitting around with people hanging out all the time. And join in with the mockers. Don't do what other people are doing. But they delight in the law of the Lord, God's instruction, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do because integrity can withstand injustice. How do we develop this kind of integrity? Well, we need to start by choosing justice privately. When I used to lead youth group, I would tell the students uh, years ago, I would say, listen, before you go on a date, before you go to an activity, before you go to somebody's house because they're having a party or whatever like that, you got to choose ahead of time, privately, what you're going to do, and then you just need to hold on to that decision through the situation. Because when you try to make a decision in the moment... You're going to be so wrapped up with everybody else's excitement and everybody else's thoughts and everything else that's going on. You decide ahead of time how far you will go. Let God be God in your life. You need to choose privately how you're going to live your life. That's why we talk to mentors. That's why we talk to people that we trust. That's why we talk to family members. Say, listen, listen, I'm thinking about this. And, and you choose privately what's going on. Then choosing publicly how you're going to share this. If love, if justice is love in action, start choosing justice with your public actions. So we as a church family support Akron Pregnancy Services because we provide a voice for those who have no voice, and we are not ashamed to publicly say we are going to support that. This month in February is Black History Awareness Month. And though our country has come so unbelievably far in this area, there are still some levels of inequality that I want to discuss, that I want to learn about, that I want to know about. And so I will share my questions and I will share my thoughts with people and say, let's just look around us and not just focus on ourselves. Hunger. How in the world can we allow a world with with uh, when we as Americans will throw away more food than some will even see in their lifetime. That's an injustice. So we partner with people and organizations that will provide this. Shoes we did last year. It's an injustice that kids will run around in different countries and cut their foot without medical care, and they will die of something as simple as an infection. That's an injustice, and we want to care for that. The church, it is an injustice to watch the church people of Jesus implode because of differences amongst them. 
It is a travesty and injustice that we will divide over preferences. A couple weeks ago, we talked about how you eat your pie, your preferences, things that are important and things that are essential. There are some things that are essential, and everything else is one of those things that it's either a preference or it's important. Uh, it's important. We can agree to disagree on those things, but some things are essential. If you're going to divide over truth, divide over the essentials, not over the preferences. It's an injustice. So choose justice privately. Choose justice publicly. Pursue God's justice. When you find an injustice or a bias that you care about, keep learning and asking questions. And don't forget to pray for strength. Pray. One of our core values as a church family is prayer. Every Sunday morning, we gather together here at 8 o'clock, and we worship together, and we pray over the seats and the building, and especially when it's icy. We're outside praying over the ice. You don't fall. And we're praying over the whole area so that this can be a safe place for you to be, and you can truly experience the presence of a living God through prayer. Isn't that incredible? So we pray, ask a lot of questions. I ask a lot of questions. I want you know my friend Coran Bishop, he's African-American pastor at Span Ministries. He lets me ask him some weird questions. I said, I said, buddy, I have been around mostly white people all my life. And I said, I just want to know more about you. He goes, yeah, let's talk. I said, what is it with black people in jumpsuits? He goes, what are you talking about? Every time I, every time I hang out with, with people and, and they're African-American, black, brown people, whatever, uh, they have this jumpsuit on and somehow it, they wear it like a suit. They look good. He goes, I don't know anything about that. And he goes, what is it with white people and typically have their buildings cold? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It must be a white thing. And we tease about time. I go to meet him for coffee. And I say, we're going to meet at 9 o'clock. And the brother rolls in at 9, 10. And I said, we said 9. Oh, I show up at 5 till 9. He says, you're on white people time. I said, what, early? And he's on BBT. And so black people time. And, I, and that's what he says, is what he tells me. And we're not offended by it because we're brothers. We're brothers and we're just talking and we're laughing and we're just enjoying one another, just, ha just doing life together because I'm asking questions. I'm curious about things. So we pursue this justice. Pursue God's mercy. Now, sometimes we think that, just the, that mercy is the opposite of justice. But in God's kingdom, mercy and justice actually coexist. That's one of those things we may not understand, but it's what God does, and he gets to do it because he's God. When you encounter injustice, try to see the predator not as an enemy, but as a human being loved by God. Remember I told you, you better count the cost before you follow Jesus? This is one of those situations that this is going to separate, this is going to separate men from the boys, women from the girls type of thing. When somebody outlandishly does something so wicked against you or your family, and we are called to look at them as somebody who is loved by God, that stuff is hard. How do I look at somebody that was lo like they loved by God when they lied about me, when they made me the scapegoat? 
when they said, well, this is what he wanted, and it wasn't true. All I know to do is take cues from my Savior, and when he stood before Pilate and he asked questions, he, did, he knew who he was. He didn't have to defend himself. Sometimes you just need to stand there. It may feel like prison, but your integrity is worth it. Don't get, don't get into a yelling match with somebody because you can't speak logical to an illogical person. You'll never win that, and you'll be frustrated. Just walk away. Blessings to you. <laughs> I'm out. So pursue God's mercy and stick with it. Stick with it. This is hard, man. Eve, this is hard, honey. I got to stick with it. Yeah, that means when I go, Trevor had a really really hard fifth grade year, super hard. And we had conversations with administrators, with the teacher, multiple times. And very little changed, including his attitude. But we had to stick with what agreement we made. We're going to get through this year together. You are not being physically harmed. We are going to pursue this. I said, Travis, maybe the best lesson you will ever learn. Figure it out, buddy. And I'll be with you every step of the way to walk with you. Just like our Heavenly Father does. It's hard. But stick with where God has you. Our big idea for today is very simple. Integrity can withstand injustice. Joseph's in prison because God chose to. He's continuing to have him succeed, but he's still in prison. And, he, and it didn't, according to the text, didn't do anything wrong. But his integrity can withstand it. His integrity, and he's still going to be there for a couple years. And his integrity is going to get better 1 Peter chapter 3 reads this. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. What that means is like have a moment. Know, know your story and share it. You don't have to know all the in-depth theological thought and doctrinal statements of stuff. You just need to know what did Jesus do in your life? You want to go a little deeper? We can go a little bit deeper, but you just need to start there. What is Jesus doing in your life? And then share that with people. Share how you're learning and growing. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Joseph went to jail for doing the right thing. That's hard. But it's better that because he would have ended up in jail anyway or worse. Maybe he would have been killed if he went with, his, went with a wife. I don't know why. But here's our next steps. How do we bring this story together as we wrap up today? What's one area of your life where you need to develop more integrity? There it is, buddy. There it is. Where, what is one area of your life where you need to develop more integrity? Does it have to do anything with your finances, with your thought life, anything with your prayer time, anything with your Bible study, any way, anything with the way that you interact with people at work or school or home? Where do you need to develop 
more integrity. This week, how are you going to do that? Let God be God in your life. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, I thank you for what we've learned here today about integrity. May we truly be people of integrity. May we honor you. May we please you with our faith this day and every day until you come back to get us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church family, will you stand? Receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here today. Uh, please and go finish up that bake sale. Send my kids, I'm sorry, all of our kids uh, to camp. <laughs> Send them to camp because, hey, we're going to invest our time and money in something. Why not do it in something that's eternal? Receive the blessing of the Lord now. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your heart as you trust in him. Now say it with me. Go and be the church.